everyone, and welcome to the App Advice Podcast. This is a continuation of our app developer series. This is your host, Trevor Sheridan of AppAdvice.com, and joining me is Mike Bushnell, PMO lead of Funko Digital. How are you doing today, Mike? Oh, I'm doing great. Enjoying the rainy weather here in Seattle. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> and so tell us uh, kind of a little bit more about your role with Funko. Yeah, so I've been with Funko uh, almost three years. Uh, I've worked on the digital team and, and the marketing team uh, here at Funko throughout that uh, time. I've worked on our websites, um, you know, our uh, Funko shop, uh, the Funko app, um, as, as well as just driving uh content programs that we run on the site and helping to support campaigns and uh, just getting good synergy between uh, our marketing organization and the products that we on the digital side here at Funko are uh, working on and, and rolling out. Sounds good. And so listeners, if you're not familiar with Funko, they're the ones who make the cute little vinyl figurines that come in the form of pops, five-star dorbs, all kinds of good different variations, but mainly Funko Pop is probably their biggest, most well-known idea. And recently they launched the Funko app to kind of let you keep track of your collection as well as your wish list and new releases, all that good stuff. And so we're going to go kind of into all of the aspects of the app. And so I guess kind of the 1.0 version of it, how would you define it? So I would say that the 1.0 version of the Funko app is really geared towards folks that have been collectors for a while. Um, they already have you know, a number of pieces in their collection, and they want a way to be able to track those, keep track of secondary market value pricing, uh, and share kind of what's in their collection, what they're looking for uh, with folks that uh, they're a part of the community with. Um, you know, this is the largest Funko catalog that's ever been uh, launched in an application like this. And we have over 17,000 items that you can track. Um, we also have, you know, the ability to scan your PCs, make it easy to add to your collection. Uh, you know, we've been doing iterations on search, trying to really uh, dial in the best way for us to manage structured data to return the expected results when you're dealing with, you know, over 17,000 products, uh, a lot of which have competing uh, equivalency across their data structure. So you have, you know, a TV show called Batman, but you also have a character called Batman uh, and trying to figure out the weighting to make sure that uh, things are as easy as possible to find. And it can kind of become a little bit of a discovery tool, even for folks that have been avid collectors for, uh, for a long time, uh, simply by logically surfacing both what they're explicitly looking for, but then also tangentially related items as well. Yeah, definitely. That's a good summation. And then you say that uh, before we jumped on, you have a big update planned later this month of May. Yeah, so some of the things that we've been really focused on since we launched the app, uh, you know, we've had amazing adoption from the community and from new collectors alike. Uh, we've seen over 1 million downloads in the first two months that the app has been live. Uh, and with that comes a lot of feedback. You know, a lot of people have things that they would like to see in the app. Uh, whether it's uh, filters or a different way of sorting. Um, and so we've listened to that. We've indexed uh, against 
what feedback we're hearing the most, what can we get to market with first. And so this first kind of major feature release since the launch uh, in March is going to be focused on introducing uh, a robust filtering system across the homepage, across uh, your individual collection, your wish list, uh, as well as uh, any search results that, uh, that you do uh, bring up with a search query so that no matter where you are in the app, you can always get the view or the cross-section of the catalog to be exactly what you want, whether you're looking for you know, any Chrome pops that were made in 2000 that had to do with uh, movies or uh, you know, anything, any, anything like that, where you can pick specific uh, elements of the metadata and bring forward just those, those items. Uh, additionally, the ability to sort collections based on the date that they were added to the collection so that you are uh, able to show, like, if you're on your wish list, you can show these are the last five things that I've added to my wish list. These are the things that I'm thinking about and desiring right now, uh, or vice versa on the collections. You can actually see what folks are doing, what they're interested in now, and what's being added in real time. Uh, one of the biggest things that we did here uh, or that we got feedback on is the UPCs that are associated with our products. Um, you know, we, we do have uh, a kind of unique situation with some of our UPCs, uh, you know, the little barcodes that are on the boxes that... Uh, folks scan to, to actually check you out if you're buying the product. Um, some of our retailers actually have their own UPCs that they put over ours. Uh, and so since we only have the UPC that is on the box indexed in our data structure, some of those UPCs don't scan properly. So we've introduced a new robust uh, UPC feedback process where if a UPC is scanned and it doesn't return a product, you can go directly into a search and then tie the product you expected to be returned to the UPC that you've just scanned. That then gets passed along to our uh, QA team, takes a look at it, and drops it into the data if, uh, if it does actually return to be uh, a UPC that's associated with that product. Um, those are some of the bigger feature pieces that we have going into this release. Um, really looking forward to seeing what folks do with those filters, uh, how they actually leverage that across sharing images uh, in social, as well as just spending more and more time in the app. Um, and then <laughs> kind of the cherry on top for all of this is that we're also going to be rolling out collections and wish lists uh, onto our .com site so that the catalog on .com and the catalog on the app will be one-to-one -one exactly the same uh, and we'll have real-time syncing uh, between those applications. So you can even be in uh, an incognito browser, you add something to your collection, you change your avatar, do anything like that associated with your account, and it will reflect in real-time in the app or in another browser window that's not incognito or another one that is incognito. Uh, we're really excited about actually bringing the ecosystem together and adding a companion website to the app that makes it so that folks can really spend as much time or uh, engage with the catalog or collections wherever they are, however they would like to, whether it's .com or, uh, or in the app itself.
Yeah. And I mean, that that's a pretty big update release. And I know that's kind of <coughs> some feedback I got from like fellow fanatics The kind of, I guess, to dive into that for the new filtering system, are they going to be drop down menus or is it kind of adding words to it at the end of your search string? Uh, so basically you'll have a drop down that you can select from, um, they'll, that will happen in a couple different ways. Um, so let's just look at the homepage for an example. Um, when you're looking at the homepage, you're dealing with the entire catalog is, is potentially an option of what could be displayed there. Uh, so you can go in. You have categories like movies, animation, television. You can select in those kind of larger buckets. You can get down into specific licenses that you would like to see. Um, Say that you're interested in the MCU more specifically than you're interested in Marvel movie characters. One way that you could go about doing that is go into your categories, filter by movies, Uh, Also select individual, either Marvel, the license or individual movies from the MCU, Uh, you know, add those filters together. And what you'll get is you will get anything from movies uh, and it will also have to be from either Marvel or those individual uh, properties. Uh, again, say that you are only interested in what chase variants came out from that subsection of the catalog. Uh, you could add chase as a uh, feature filter, uh, and then that would bring that list down even more. So it's basically creating a query that uh, nests uh, ORs within a light group and then combines them with and queries across groups. So it's like movies or animation and Thor, Ragnarok and Captain America Civil War uh, or, you know, so that's kind of the logic that we have going on behind the scenes for how the how the filters are actually getting down into the nitty gritty of of what to be displayed. Um, But additionally, We also have this introduced in areas of the app where you don't have the entire catalog uh, represented. So your collection page, your wishlist page. One of the things that we're excited about in this release as well is that those pages will not offer filters that do not tie to the data of your collection or your wishlist. So when you go into your filters on your collection or wishlist, it will only present you with options that can filter the data that is available within the collections or wishlist. So you won't be finding yourself in a situation where you're entering a bunch of filters, trying to look for something, uh, and you end up in dead end, you end up in a dead end, you end up in a dead end. Uh, we're, we're really focused on in this release and then in subsequent uh, support releases to just improve the logic around how we're surfacing your filtering options in real time uh, and kind of guiding you towards uh, buckets that will have meaningful results. Right. Okay. So you made like the complex algorithms on the back end for kind of search queries, but you made it accessible for users on the front end. Correct. That's, that's the goal. Absolutely. And so are, is a team at Funko filling in all these different forms of metadata, like Chrome pops and flocked pops and all that kind of stuff? Yeah. Um, so we have 
you know, we have a little catalog team here. And then there's a lot of folks just because there's so many uh, avid collectors that actually work here at Funko um, that bring their own expertise and, you know, will come back, come by and drop feedback or say, this looks a little bit off. This looks to be, uh, you know, correct. Um, And they can give that feedback direct. So every day we have someone in the data, at least one person, sometimes up to three, uh, actually updating UPCs, uh, cleaning up metadata. You know, one of the biggest challenges that we faced as Funko trying to introduce this app is that all of our product data internally relates directly to the planning and development of the specific product. Um, So we really had to go through a translation process at scale of all of those 17,000 items to take the data that was meant to let the product be built, let it be sold, and track it along that lifespan and transition it into something that end users can understand that lines up with the lexicon that they are already using. Uh, And so we ended up making, even before the launch, over 100,000 edits to the database that we have as our product catalog. And since launch, you know, we've continued to do that in a daily fashion. We've updated over or added additional, like some of those, like, you know, maybe partner retailer UPCs. We've added over 2000 of those since the launch two months ago. Um, So, you know, catalog uh, integrity is a very challenging thing at this scale. Uh, but we do have folks working on it all the time. And that's definitely one of those areas where if you see something, say something. And we have folks listening. We have folks looking for that, responding to that, and making sure that updates get in if something didn't actually come out right from that massive process of setting up these thousands and thousands of items. Right. And so how many total like tags or however you want to versions of like metadata sorts do you have now? Um, so each product has about 30 individual metadata fields. Um, the filters themselves for this version are really focused on uh, some of the higher level key areas. So we're looking at categories, licenses, uh, product brands like Pop or Five Star, uh, features like Chrome or Flocked or Glow in the Dark, uh, release year. Uh, and exclusive retailer. Um, and so those are the those are the core kind of filters that we're rolling out with now. And you'll see that reflected on .com as well. Um, and as folks start to use this, we'll see if there's other ways to either introduce additional filters or come up with cross-section filters that leverage multiple aspects of the metadata to give us some options that uh, folks may not even know is nested in the data uh, because we're really trying to follow the common use patterns first and then start to get a little bit more complex and introduce new usage or mental models down the line. Okay, that that makes sense. And so if you guys are trying to like continually optimize the search, like specifically just the search tab, can you do that on the back end without pushing an update through iTunes Connect or through Apple or Android or whatever? 
Yep, our search service is completely decoupled from the front-end experience. There are certain times where we will need to couple something. Like, for example, if we have an update to our middleware uh, that needs to be referenced in the front-end build, uh, say that we've added a new endpoint or uh, there's a new database that can be queried for a specific type of uh, sort um, you know, those are good examples of times where search would require an actual update to the store. But for the most part, uh, we do all that stuff behind the scenes. So we have a synonym admin that we go through at least once a week, uh, adding search queries uh, that we're seeing in the top 3,000 uh, search terms made. Um, we also are uh, constantly testing the scoring output. So our search is run on Elasticsearch. Uh, we leverage Ngram scores uh, as well as uh, some light analyzers and a little bit of fuzzy search from their algorithms to uh, really power our search. I think one of the biggest challenges has just been the appropriate weighting of individual metadata fields. So it's like, Based on how users are searching, what's more important? Is it more important um, that the character has a specific character name or that they are a part of a specific license? Um, and so we've been going back and forth, doing a lot of tests, looking at it at scale to try to make sure that uh, you know we're, we're not just sort of jumping the gun because one search looks good. We're going through and we're rigorously testing uh, to find the solutions that hit that sweet middle ground between customer expectation and what we actually have in the metadata. And while we work through that stuff, um, you know, filters become a very helpful tool uh, to just sort of guide the actual database that's being queried to get exactly what you're looking for. And do you think all these changes are going to make, I don't know, the UI too complex because there's so many different options? Um, so we've taken a very simple approach to the filtering. Uh, you can't, you're not actually applying your filters like in the same screen that you're looking at the individual product pieces. Complexity of the UI has definitely been something that we are focused on keeping as simple as possible, uh, particularly when you have this many metadata fields that, that you can work through. Um, so I think that, you know, kind of like targeting those six core fields is a good example of some decisions that we've made on our side to ensure that we're not stuffing the UI with too many features, too many options. Um, you know, I think that there's still some areas where we're going to see user behavior actually impact how we handle it down the line. Uh, licenses is a good example where we have hundreds and hundreds of licenses, and that can be overwhelming to a user. It can make a UI uh, difficult to use. Um, so we're going to be monitoring that type of thing very closely at the time of rollout and, and launch to make sure that it's getting adopted at the same rate or scale as some of the other feature or some of the other filter categories that we have. Um, but it's, it's, it's always a tightrope <laughs> when you're dealing with this much information, this many products, you know, we announce multiple times a day at times. Um, mm -hmm. And it, it can be overwhelming, particularly for new users. Yeah, that, that's, I think, 
you know, because you have a million downloads. I don't know how many of those people are existing users versus new users. Like you said, you emphasized kind of 1.0 is for existing collections. So those people know what they're looking for. It's tougher. Like, right. I don't know what a chase is, or I don't know what flocked is or anything like that. Right. Right. Yeah. The top of funnel, you know, I think that there's definitely some, uh, some support massage and, and education that needs to occur on the, on both of our app and our website to, to really cater to that top of funnel experience, to, to get folks, uh, to become a part of the community, to understand kind of what a collector community is, how it all functions as a, as a, a kind of, uh, organism, uh, that, uh, different elements supporting each other, uh, that's that's definitely something that we're looking at in the long term and part of why the rollout on the website is so important um i think that from from a funnel perspective you can really look at uh the website as the best opportunity for education of top of funnel uh acquisition whereas the the app becomes a little bit more of a deepening of the engagement of someone who's already kind of said, yeah, you know, I know what Funko is. Uh, I, I know what these products are. I have some of them. I'm interested in being up to date with the newest releases that they have coming out. Uh, and then down the line, once we start to introduce more commerce-based features in the app, I think that that, uh, becomes a little bit more of a top of funnel uh, opportunity for us on the app side. Yeah, okay. I'm really intrigued that you're making a whole .com version of this as well. Yeah, I mean, a lot of... So back uh, about a year ago, you know, we acquired an, an app called Stashpedia, and we didn't end up using a lot of the core code. We did a lot of cleanup, basically rebuilt from the ground up. But one of the core things that that, uh, that experience had was a companion website um, that allowed users to do things a little bit differently than they do on the app and just have options for how they engage. Um, we're coming from a place at Funko where, you know, in the past, We've had a number of different digital catalogs represented across all of our properties, uh, including shop.com, app. Uh, you know, uh, we've had a B2B um, program that we ran for a while that also had a different subset of, of catalog items. So to be able to work on these things at scale, it's become very important for us to just focus on what is the platform experience? How do we make sure that we're leveraging the app for things that are specific to that journey of using the app? You know, notifications, uh, things, things of that nature that we don't necessarily have uh, as, as available on .com. Um, so there's going to be some redundancy just to give the option across the platform. Um, but then there's also going to be unique facets for each uh, individual property that engage users in different ways, you know, more robust content experiences on .com with the catalog in line, uh, so that if you end up going to a Captain Marvel or an Avengers Endgame uh, campaign page, that you can start to add to your wish list right there. Uh, those types of integrations 
we believe will give us the biggest bang for our buck for the work that we're doing on the catalog side. And just in bringing all of these foundations together across the platform so that it's all leveraging the same backend, it's leveraging the same search, users can create mental models and actually really understand how they're going to engage with with us uh, as Funko. Search is going to be the same. The catalog's the same. There's there's not things missing that you expect to be there. Um, those are some of the things that we're focused on from a foundational perspective. Right. And I'm surprised that you've only used like kind of the core code of Stashpedia. I was going to ask about that, but since you covered it, how big is kind of the digital team in redoing the entire app from scratch and doing the whole web portal and all of that? Yeah, so our team is, uh, you know, roughly 13 folks, I would I would say. And then that goes up and down depending on if we're working with partners or if we have contractors um, working on specific initiatives, things of that nature. Um, but we do have uh, Veronica Canterbury is our uh, lead dev on the app. Um, we also have uh, a, a full uh services team uh, that works on things like our user service or a currency service that allows you to change from, you know, euros to uh, dollars to pounds, whatever it is that, that you're looking for there. Uh, search service, um, our backend CMS that powers both of our website experiences and um, our app experiences. Um and then we also have uh, my team, which is the product management team here at Funko. Uh, there's there's three of us on that side. Um, and we are a part of the marketing organization here at Funko. Um, so we also work very closely with uh, social, email, uh, analytics analysts, um, content creators, copywriters, uh, basically just pulling everything together to try to make sure that the right folks are bringing their expertise to the right elements, regardless of if it's a marketing campaign or a, a website or a landing page. Um, you know, I would say that we're scrappy, <laughs> but we've, uh, we have a really intelligent team. Um, it's a team that knows their stuff. They're all, senior devs, um, and they have an extreme amount of emotional intelligence. So beyond just being experts in their field, they also know how to connect that back to the user uh, and think about that user experience and, and ensure that whatever we're going through the door with is the best possible product that we could launch at that time, given you know any constraints that might come up along the way. Yeah, okay. And so I guess with that team size, you've talked about the 2000 different UPCs, like say you had the Hot Topic code for Hot Topic exclusive to scan that in. Are you guys entering that manually? And have you considered kind of maybe user generated help for this metadata? Yeah, so we, we've been, so basically we approve against user generated feedback. Um, so at this time, if a UPC, just taking the UPC code as an example, if the UPC is missing, um, they actually have to click the feedback tab, tell us what the product is, and basically send along that UPC if they if they have it or a picture of it. Um, in this release, part of what we're doing is we're streamlining that process. So what once used to take users 
you know, a sentence to explain uh, and a manual input process that is error prone. Um, and then having that be copy and pasted by our, you know, feedback support team. Um, now that's all going to be automated so that the product is tied directly to the UPC that got scanned. And all of that previous effort will actually just be reduced to a single click per product once they're verified um, that that UPC is correctly tied to the appropriate product. Okay, that, that makes more sense. I'm sure people who've gone through the old method definitely will like to hear that. Yeah, <laughs> easier for everyone. <laughs> yep. And so that's kind of the summation of the new update that's coming. But are there like kind of pipeline features down the road? Because one for me, I would have to say probably a bunch of people It was also in the old Stashpedia is kind of a friend's connection. So you can see your friend's want list and maybe help them out with it yep. or compare your collections and all that. Yep. So we have we have a list of about 15 things of various sizes that we are actively scoping and dropping into the roadmap. Some of those things, like community activity, are a little bit larger for us as a publicly traded company to actually introduce into our app because right now the account settings that we have uh, for the Funko account was not built to be publicly shared. So we're working with legal, we're working with uh, design and our technology teams to scope out what our solution is for community activity. But it's definitely at the top of our list. That is the thing we have heard the most consumers ask for from the app. And we're trying to make sure that we go about it properly. Uh, we look into the nuances and the details of the impact that it has for our ecosystem. Um, but that's definitely something that's on the roadmap. Um, enhanced sharing, uh, you know, looking at having multiple collections, multiple wish lists, um, enhanced notification subscriptions, um, expanded uh, account personalization-based settings. Uh, in there's there's a number of things that we are looking at right now where we're just trying to find the right balance of what are the biggest things like community activity that requires more resources, more planning, more detail, uh, and for us to be buttoned up before we really roll out. And in the meantime, introducing other kind of lower hanging features like filters, like multiple collections, uh, like updated account settings. Um, so we will definitely get there. Uh, and we're very excited about the solution that we're pointed to in that area. Um, I would say, you know, by the end of this year, that will definitely be a core feature within the app. Yeah, I, I didn't think of the whole legal and r privacy ramifications of that idea. <laughs> yeah, especially GDPR being introduced, and this is a this is a globally available app. Um, so it's it's just you know it's little things like that that you lose in the transition of a mom and pop run op operation to uh, a kind of company or organizational uh, operation. Um, so you know, just I would just call out that. We're not missing that piece uh, in terms of its importance to the user experience. We just want to make sure that we do it right and we don't get slapped in the hand when we start to publish usernames or user activity or any of that kind of stuff. 
And so kind of building off of that idea, the whole mom and pop idea, public traded company, friend idea, I know that Funko has their own forms, the Fanatic forms, which is kind of a legacy idea where you have people who've been there for 15 years. And then you have the new kind of Funko shop and people have accounts and they're purchasing brand new releases. Is there kind of a plan or an idea to connect the old forms, which are kind of antiquated with the new shop profile app profile? Yeah. So, I mean, that's another part of the reason why we're taking our time on community activity is because of that particular aspect. So for anyone that's listening that doesn't kind of have a context there, the Funko Fanatic forums are basically a PHP BB bulletin board. You know, think back to the early 90s, think pre-AOL, um, <laughs> you know, sort of a geosites aesthetic. Yeah. Um, but but there's a robust community of folks there, um, and it is directly tied to Funko. We don't actually uh, moderate it um, with internal folks; those are all volunteers. Um, but you know, we are we are a part of it. We are aware of it. And we have access to it. Um, moving down the road, there's opportunities for community activity. Uh, and potentially associated gamification of those activities. So think about somebody completes their set, they get the completionist badge level one. That's also showing in your, you know, potentially your profile, but definitely in your activity feed. Um, And then being able to actually have conversation that organically uh, grows out of those types of moments. Uh, That's some of the stuff that we're looking at. Um, From my perspective, you know, I love the Funko Fanatics forums, um, but I also love the avid Facebook groups that are out there. You know, I love the engagement of the Reddit community. Um, I love the activity that we see on Instagram of folks that are sharing photos of their collections, photos of their uh, staged, you know, sometimes very beautiful images. Mm-hmm. Um, and so our team is actively thinking through how do we take advantage of the entire social ecosystem that surrounds us uh, and kind of integrate that a little bit more deeply through something like community activity um, as opposed to only kind of catering to the Funko Fanatic Forum, which is very important to us, but there's a lot of folks out there and we want to make sure that we're facilitating something that's exciting for, for all of them, whether you've been a Funko fan for 15 years or 15 minutes. Um, that's, that's kind of how we're thinking about it, but you really hit the nail on the head that that's, those are complementary things that will be uh, related to each other when we do actually roll this out. Yeah. They're, they're all really siloed off. If you're on Twitter or Instagram or Reddit or the fanatic forums, they're all siloed in their own kind of ideas. So that unification is definitely difficult, but I think the app is kind of the area to do it. And that's kind of what I was talking about with So is there a way to kind of make the Funko shop accessible in the app and kind of have your profile and history? I I just think that the the shop is kind of important, especially the way some things can sell out. Yeah. So again, kind of going back to the foundational process that we're working through right now, um, a few months ago, uh, we we looked at the roadmap for 2019 and one of the core aspects of a successful digital roadmap for Funko in 2019 is unification of shop. So right now we have the Funko pop-up shop and we have a separate 
uh, kind of mainline inventory shop, if you will. Um, Mm -hmm. Over the next couple of months, uh, as a as a kind of the starting stages of what you're speaking to, uh, we will be unifying that into a single platform so that we only have one Funko shop with which to integrate. Uh, Once we are down to a single shop platform, we will then start to introduce uh, integration for shop accounts, add to cart, shopping experiences across both the app and .com. Uh, And I, I really think that that'll be when you start to see the synergy of the work that we're trying to do foundationally here to set us up for long-term success, as opposed to maybe a Band-Aid here, a Band-Aid there that gets us what we need now, but it falls apart in six months or it's, it's not as robust or we can't build on it as fast. Um, so yes, we're, we're definitely looking at integrating Funko Shop, pulling that experience closer across the entire ecosystem. And it's, it's one of the key aspects of uh, our plans around this platform. That's definitely good to hear. And I also like that you brought up the whole gamification earning badges idea, just because that was one of the topics I was going to discuss, because there's the whole idea of, you know, I completed my set of whatever the case, I picked up the new Star Wars pops, but also kind of badges of honor to, I went to San Diego Comic-Con, I went to Funko yep. Fun Days, I went to Emerald City Comic-Con, just the whole badges yep. and then finding people based on who else shared those experiences. Exactly, exactly. Uh, I mean, we have, like, in the back end in the app, there's a lot of stuff that's been set up that will not be leveraged until we get to that uh, point. So, you know, having geofences that are set up for those types of um, attendance-based uh, gamification opportunities is definitely something that the infrastructure is built to support right now. Um, and then going back into kind of counting stats and those sorts of things, um, it's definitely something that we're thinking about and tying it to some sort of uh, engagement uh, program that is is meant to simplify the onboarding of the experience, kind of teaching you about uh, things that the community at large uh, celebrates. Right. You know, the geofence is actually super brilliant. I was going to ask you kind of the proving it on, like, say you kind of had like collection ideas. You Anyone could say that they own all these pops or whatever, but for actual yeah. location-based services, that's really brilliant. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that that sort of stuff is some of the stuff that's going to be the most exciting down the road. Um, Think about you have you have an exclusive on your wish list and uh, you're driving down the highway and you get a notification that within, you know, uh, 10 miles is uh, a retailer that has that exclusive in stock. those types of things with physical location-based awareness for our, our massive retail footprint, uh, it, it really can become a valuable tool for the pop hunter out there that might want to take a little bit more of a passive approach to actually finding the things that they're doing just by you know, us reaching out to them to tell them when they're close to and there's a purchase opportunity for something that they've shown intent on. Uh, there's, there's just a lot of fun opportunities for us uh, when it comes to geo-based, uh, you know, engagement with our audience. Yeah, that, that's a little more difficult because that relies on inventory of Target or Hot Topic right. or what have you. Yeah, it's partnership-based, right? So you, yeah. you, need, you need your API feeds for, for 
uh, in-store availability, you know, so, so that definitely gets into the more complex side of things. Um, and I would say that maybe that one alongside with, uh, computer vision where you can take a picture of your collection and, uh, we extrapolate as much metadata from that picture as possible to do a bulk import of your collection as it exists on your wall so that you're not having to go through the long time, like long time frame process of searching, add to your collection, search, add to your collection, scan, add to your collection. Uh, you can kind of take that as more of a, a background task. Those are some of the uh, some examples of the long-term roadmap items that we're currently working on and, and scoping right now. Right. That's definitely exciting as a Funko fan, regardless. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> right now, again, it's like we're just introducing the base functionality. We're making sure that we're getting that as right as we can. And we're making sure that we're taking time to listen to the fans in terms of what's most important to them. But that doesn't mean that we are not in the back rooms, you know, cranking the midnight oil and trying to come up with some really innovative, exciting features that no other company could do in the way that we can because of our unique position with our community of fans, with our collectors, and with our kind of footprint across the across the country. And I guess one kind of question that I had always is why PPG and why do you think there's a necessary monetary value for the items in your collection? Well, really, that was something that came out of the investigation of the backend technology that was managing pricing. Uh, in the marketplace, PPG had a much more sophisticated and matured process for intaking new prices, for running queries across uh, you know, uh, as many records as you need to keep prices up to date. Uh, and it just made sense for us that they would be an individual partner, as opposed to competing with them and managing a kind of non-standardized pricing estimate for secondary market value. Um, you know, I, I think along those lines, though, there's there's also things that we're looking at in terms of partnerships with secondary markets that can change a little bit of how Funko frames uh, pricing itself in the app. Um, so that'll, that'll be an, uh, an evolving thing. Uh, right now, the partnership with PPG has gone a long way in ensuring that we do not have to start from scratch for managing pricing and for adding that as something that we had never done before internally at Funko. Um, and as we move forward, we'll kind of figure out more and more ways to give folks a good kind of baseline for valuating or valuing their collection. Uh, again, feature set from Stashpedia, highly requested, um, and one of the kind of real-time or like updating aspects of the app. So, uh, you know, you have things in your collection, you have things in your wish list. Pricing really gives you an anchor through which to have folks coming back outside of even new products or anything else like that being announced. Um, so we've looked at it as one of those 
features that drives engagement, drives stickiness, gives folks a little bit more information, but it's definitely something that we're going to mature uh, along with the rest of the app. And I know this isn't like directly in your purview, but so there was a recent interview with the CEO, Brian Mariotti, talking about kind of partnering with eBay for a specific secondhand marketplace with Funko. Would that be kind of its standalone thing or is that tied into the digital team and the app and .com? Yeah, that would be a good example of the types of conversations that are being had throughout the company around secondary market. Right. And so I guess that's kind of, is there a conflict of interest if you guys, like I know you're partnering with PPG, but as just a common user, I access the app and it tells me this pops is worth $100. If you have like this whole market, secondhand marketplace connection, do you take a percentage of that? And then that dictates the price. It's, it's kind of a gray area, difficult thing. Yeah, I mean, I think that a lot of those conversations are still very new and that there's a lot of mm, kind of variables that we need to make sure that we investigate and, and examine before we move forward with any kind of partnership, whether it's with an eBay or, uh, you know, another another company. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's a challenge. And I can tell you that there's been a lot of conversations internally from day one around the app with secondary market pricing and secondary market buy sell trade, um, all of those things are things that have there. Uh, there's there's just a ton of variables with them, so the conversations can kind of go all over the place. But uh, you know that's also part of the reason why we're taking our time, making sure that we find the right partners uh, and and put together the right type of integration plan to to really build that out and just you know, with the basis or or the true goal being to make it as easy as possible for someone to find a product that they are looking for and to introduce the mental model for Funko consumers that you can go to Funko properties and it will help, they will help you find what you're looking for. That's never really historically been our MO. That's really been something that we've let, you know, our partner retailers or uh, other folks within our our ecosystem manage for us, but as we get into you know more Funko Shop stuff and uh, having actual Funko HQ stores, uh, those those types of things start to make it so that we want the consumer to be able to come to us, and regardless of where they're going afterwards to to kind of go find that thing um, that that they know that they can they can come and find it here. Right, first party control of third party or second party things is it's a it's definitely a smart idea and to have those complex considerations that's all I cared about. And then <laughs> just kind of just like the whole app idea. I know that yeah. it's kind of made for the iPhone, but the iPad it's kind of just like a big version or any tablet version. Is there any ideas to kind of refine the iPad experience so maybe it's not just three pops across <laughs> you can put more of your collection on screen and stuff? <clears throat> Yeah, definitely. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I I would say that we're focused on foundations and kind of making the experience as clean as possible uh, before we start to port into other views. Um, but that that's definitely something that we've discussed and, and that we've looked at, particularly around kind of adoption, usage, or churn on those platforms. 
Excellent. I mean, I think you covered the app pretty much every way inside and outside. If you're a Funko fan, I got to <laughs> imagine that it sounds like it's in good hands with kind of the foresight and planning of what's going to come as we go. I mean, we love our collectors and we are all collectors ourselves. So, I mean, I know that when when technology is rolled out, particularly when it's technology from a toy company, right? Like this is not a space that is uh, usually a best in class kind of leader for technological innovation, but we have the right team working on this. Uh, and we are working on it every day. This is our lives. You know, it's it's 12 hours a day every day. Sometimes there's no weekends. We are very dedicated to making sure that the experience that you get is the best possible experience that we can deliver. And that when it isn't, we're working extra hard to get it there. Awesome. And so I guess this isn't Funko related. Just I wanted to know kind of as a user of apps and games, are there a couple that are your go-to everyday things other than the Funko app? Yeah. I mean, so it's, it's, I, I kind of look at this, uh, along three, three different areas. Um, you know, being, being a collector and a fan of these products, obviously I'm a major media consumer. Um, as as basic as it is, my most used app is actually YouTube. Um, that is my kind of core media consumption uh, platform. From a work perspective, uh, my favorite app that I use for work is Slack. Uh, it makes everything uh, 100% easier when dealing with the speed at which we kind of work. Um, I, I also have... Um, a few things that uh, that I've been really into lately, been spending a bit of time on the Robinhood app, um, you know, doing uh, stock buy sell, uh, crypto buy sell, uh, and then ten uh, percent happier. It's one of those uh, mindfulness mm -hmm. apps that has uh, kind of library of guided meditations that it leads you through. Um, that's been something that I've I've used in the evenings to help settle down and, and get to sleep, and then. Uh, of course, you know, I'm, I'm on eBay, uh, quite regularly. Um, and then a game that I've been playing a lot recently is, uh, Plague Inc. It's, it's kind of an older game, but, yeah. uh, you basically just get, uh, get a virus or a bacteria or something and you, you infect the world. And, um, I always appreciate that kind of scale of, of thought. <laughs> awesome. Those are some, uh good recommendations if you guys are listening to need those kind of services and mike thanks for joining and talking all about the funko app we really appreciate it absolutely trevor thank you so much for having me really appreciate it as well and be sure to follow us at app advice as well as at original funko for updates on all of this good stuff everyone thanks for listening we'll talk to you next time all right thanks bye